Happy Yom Teruah to everybody here. We were blowing horns on the dock last night. Waking up the lake neighbors. It's loud across that lake, I can imagine. When we um, we went camping a couple years ago, and there's a guy across the lake on the dock. And every day when we were camping for about a week, he would come out and blow a shofar. And uh, he would come out to the, down to the dock every day, and he'd blow the shofar. And he was using it to signal the fish to come eat his fish food. And he would stand out there with that trumpet on that dock and blow that shofar, and the fish would come up there, and he'd throw fish food to them. And we watched him do it for a week straight. He did it every day. So uh, I wasn't trying to call the fish. I was just being obedient. But uh, it was fun. It was fun to blow it. We, we hadn't we hadn't got to blow it on the dock yet. So uh, I hope everybody's happy to be here. Uh, I hope you've all come out of a willingness on your own accord, not just because of the command, but because you want to be here, because you want to you want to serve Yahweh and you want to be part of this assembly. It's a joyous thing to serve and worship Yahweh. I believe. I'm thankful for uh, one more day to serve Him, to learn His ways, to um, be a part of something that's much greater than I am, and that being the church. I'm thankful for that. I hope we all know that in order for the church to make manifest the person of Christ, we must function in a certain way. Let me say that again. If we are to make manifest the body of Christ, if that's to happen, we must all function in a certain way. I hope that we're agreed on that. Not the same way, but we have to we have to function in a way that is uh, required of us. There are certain certain attributes that the members of the body must all be in sync on. Not always the case, but sometimes that's the case. There are certain criteria that we, that we must be familiar with, and we must all perform in order for the church to produce the manifestation of Yeshua here on the earth. That's our job. Now, we've been talking about a lot of things throughout the study of Ephesians, but over the last couple sermons that I've taught, we've been dealing with the removal of the old man and the replacement of that old man with the new man. We talked last time about our former way of life and how it was corrupted with deceitful desires. We talked about the renewing of our minds and how we have had to have a mind change experience in order to carry out the new way that we should conduct ourselves. We talked about how Yahweh has given us a new heart that desires that which is righteous. And He's given us the ability to walk in His ways, to choose that which is good based on the, the instructions that He's given us. However, we are required and commanded not just to know these things, but also to act upon our knowledge and our intellect and to perform as we are commanded. That's, a, that's what's required of us. And we can do this by the grace that He's given us, okay? We're not on our own. He's always been gracious to us. We can do this by His grace. And that's what I want to focus on today. Paul has laid out some of the basic evidences and requirements of the Christian life here in the last few verses of chapter 4. And I want to deal with them one at a time in an effort to set up a measuring device for us to compare ourselves with to see if we fit the criteria that is required of us. But before I do that, I want to go back to Ephesians chapter 4, and I'm going to start in the 17th verse, and I'm going to read to the end of chapter 4. I'm going to try to finish the whole, the whole chapter today. So starting in verse 17, Ephesians chapter 4, it says, Therefore I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. In the futility of their thoughts, they are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of 
Yahweh because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But that's not how you learned about the Messiah, assuming you heard Him and were taught by Him because the truth is in Yeshua. You took off your former way of life, the old man that is corrupted by deceitful desires. You're being renewed in the spirit of your mind. You put on the new man, the one created according to Yahweh's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Since you put away lying, since you put away lying, speak truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. And don't give the devil an opportunity. The thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No rotten talk should come from your mouth, but only what is good for the building up of someone in need in order to give grace to those who hear. And don't grieve the Almighty's Holy Spirit who sealed you for the day of redemption. All bitterness, anger, and wrath, insult, and slander must be removed from you along with all wickedness. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as Yahweh also forgave you in Christ. All right. Are y'all ready to dive on here? For all you northerners in here, y'all is a Greek contraction for you all. It was used in the lower regions of Judah. I'm just kidding. I'm just playing. I'm playing. That's a joke. That was my Greek part for uh, Frankie today. So um, let's look at uh, let's look at verse 25. It says, "Since you put away lying, speak the truth each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. Because we are members of one another." I'm sorry. Alright, by show of hands, how many people in here are liars? <laughs> All you that didn't raise your hand, um, this sermon is for you. I'm just cutting up. I really don't need to know if you're a liar or not. And uh, I don't need to know if you have a problem with it. However, you may want to know. You may want to know. See, because you have become a new creature, and it's your responsibility to live out that new nature that you've been given. Now, sometimes in the Bible, there will be statements like this. This is how Christians live. But sometimes, the same principle will be put into a command, and it will sound like this. This is how you are to live. The phrases mean the same thing, but one is general, and the other is a command to you. This is how we know that we're not robots, but rather we play a part in our Christian walk. Okay? Yahweh created us for good works, and He has given us the ability to perform those good works. And now it's up to us to act on what we've been given. That's the command. Paul lays out the next few verses in the command form. The next few verses that we'll study today is kind of in the command form, okay? He says, you have put off the former way of life. You have been transformed. You you are being renewed in your minds to walk the Christ-like walk. And because of this, I command you these things. Verse 25 says this. It says, since, meaning since you no longer are the old creature, but you've been made the new creature. Since that, put away lying. Since you're a new creature, put away lying. Speak truth one to his one to his neighbor because we are members of one another. Now I told you that you may want to know if you're a liar. So that you put off put off the old way and walk in the newness of life. 
as I've been studying these verses, I have been comparing my life with them and seeing how I measure up with the verses. Unfortunately, I don't measure up the way that I should. I find out real quick that I don't completely measure up. I thought I did. I thought I had it all figured out. I think I don't lie. I don't cheat. I don't steal. I'm kind to people. I give away what I can give away, but there's a whole lot more to it than that. There's a whole lot more to It's not because my spirit's not willing, like Matthew talked about in Romans chapter 7. It's not because my spirit's not willing. My spirit wants to do what's right, but my flesh is strong. And I don't mean physically what you're looking at, but uh, but my flesh is strong. I want to do what's right, but my spirit wages war with the members that are within me. Now before you run this bus that I'm riding on into the lake of fire, let me help help some of y'all. There's that Greek word again, y'all. Let me help y'all get on this bus with me. Now one kind of line is just telling what ain't so. That's one way to lie. Alright? And you might say, well, I don't do that. But there's a lot of other kind of lies too. What about exaggeration? Anybody guilty of exaggeration? I feel all the categories. So if you want to raise your hand, by all means, go ahead. I'll fit in there with you. But anybody guilty of exaggeration? That's me. What about just shading the truth? You ever just shade the truth just a little bit? Make it sound a little bit better? Yeah, I'm guilty of that one. And uh, what about charging a man too much money just because he doesn't know what you did on his job? Maybe he doesn't know or understand the work that was performed and you think you can get just a couple extra hundred dollars out of it? Ever do that? What about failure to keep your word or your promise to Yahweh or your neighbor? Make a promise or tell somebody you're going to do something for them and you just don't, you don't fulfill it? How about betrayal of confidence? Somebody tells you something in confidence and you don't come right out and tell anyone in particular, but maybe you leak hints a little bit around. Maybe you do that. Guilty. Guilty. How about this one? Flattery. You tell somebody what you want to, what they want to hear, so that you might gain from it. It's a form of lying. It's a form of lying. What about excuses? How many times do we make excuses for something just to preserve our tails from some kind of consequence or punishment? I'm very guilty. Kids obviously do these things uh, to stay out of trouble, but do we as adults not do the same thing to cover ourselves? Sometimes I think so. I think we're all guilty. Now, I know I'm, I'm the only one in here who's probably guilty of all these things. And this probably won't apply to any of you, but just in case, listen to, what, uh, listen to what Revelation has to say about this. The book of Revelation says in Revelation chapter 21 and verse 8, it says, But the cowards, the unbelievers, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars... Their share will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That's what it says about liars. I'm guilty. Okay? So, um, folks, we do what is convenient. And lying is usually convenient. Even if it's a small, what they call a little white lie. It's all lying the same. So, we do what's convenient. Lying's convenient. We learn that from our youth. I know when I was young, I lied all the time to save my hide. Well... What you do when you're young becomes a habit. Habits reap personalities. Personalities reap characters. And characters define destinies. That's what happens. I know that we are, we've all stumbled in this area. I know that we have. But what I'm saying is that we are commanded. This is not a suggestion. We are commanded 
not to lie. If you struggle in this area, rid yourself of it and start anew. That's what we're doing is talking about building a new man. That's what we're talking about right now. Taking off that old man, putting on that new man. If you're guilty of something like this in the past, remove it far from you. Start new. If you struggle in this area, just rid yourself of it and start over. Paul says, speak truth each one to his neighbor because we are members of one another. Let me give you an analogy. This one's for Jerry. The saints in this world make up the body of Christ, right? We're all in agreement? All right. And that's the context throughout the fourth chapter of Ephesians as we've been studying. It's all talking about unity within the body and things like that. Over the last few sermons, I think we could, we could all agree on that. So if I use a bodily analogy, it should fit then. Okay? What if my stomach lied to my mouth and said it wasn't hungry? Obviously, that is not the case. That's not taking place. You can look at me and see that that's not going on. However... If this, if this took place and, my, and my, my stomach told my mouth that it was not hungry, what would happen? I would eventually starve, okay? We, that's, that's my point anyway. I would eventually starve. And what if my eyes shaded the truth one day? What if it just shaded the truth a little bit? And uh, I'm standing on Mount Rushmore somewhere, and my eyes say, well, that cliff is 100 foot away when it's really 50 foot away. No more body, Okay. I'm destroyed. I hope you see my point. The same way our personal bodies do not lie against its members, we also should always be honest in dealing with the members of this body, this church. Okay? And listen, while I understand Paul's not talking, he's talking about a lifestyle here. He's not talking about a stumble within a category of sin. People, people sin. People fall. People, people trip up. And, and do things wrong. He's not talking about this. He's talking about a lifestyle of sin, a lifestyle of a habitual violation of something. I also know that it's a slow fade. It's a slow fade. And if we let ourselves do something once, it's easier to do it twice. The second time comes around, it's not near as hard to commit the same sin. And also think about this. How do you make the body? Well, I'm not talking about the body. I'm talking about the church. How do you make that body look if you don't do your part, if you're a member of the body, if, you're, if, if, if one of the members, if you're a member of the body or if, or if any of these members in this body is dysfunctional, we're all dysfunctional. Not that we don't do our part, but the body works as a whole. It's not, it's not singled out in components, okay? So if you're dysfunctional, we're all dysfunctional. And because we're, we're dependent upon one another, other parts of the body, I believe... That the this is part of the reason why the church is labeled as hypocrites today. It's not because we are all, but it's because some are. Because some of them are. So so tell the truth, no matter what the cost. And what's honorable? A man that slithered his way out of a bind by line, or the man that owned up to his mistakes and learned from the consequences? Which one's honorable? Also remember this, John chapter 8, verse 44. It says this, it says, Speaking of the devil, speaking of the devil, when he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature. Because he is a liar, and he is the father of all liars. Now if we confess Yahweh as our fathers, we'll be sons of the truth, and we'll tell the truth. We'll speak the truth. Alright, let's look at verse 26 and verse 27. 
It says, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. Boy, that's a confusing verse. How in the world can I be angry and not sin? Especially when Paul says in verse 31, that all bitterness, anger, and wrath, insult, and slander must be removed from you. What about Yeshua in John chapter 2? Removing the money changers from the temple with a whip of cords. Was he not angry? I believe he was angry. Or how about David's fury against Goliath when he blasphemed the name of, of Yahweh? Was David angry? Sure he was. And Paul with Hominius and Alexander when he delivered them to Satan for their blasphemy. Was he angry? I'm sure that he was. Well, I think there are a couple types of anger that can be considered. One is an, one is an anger that is just. There is a such thing as a just anger. And the other is a bitterness that's not just inside a man that makes him grumpy and always ill and every, at everything, including himself, okay? One is an anger that is explosive, just a terrible kind of wrath. Maybe where someone gets heated in a moment because of self-persecution and decides to retaliate for the sake of justification. For example, let's suppose someone cuts you off in, tra- in traffic and you give him the finger or something. You know? Or possibly even run over him. If you're that kind of person, that might be, that might be an option. These are examples of unrighteous anger. But the, but the other is a righteous anger, a fury that burns inside of you. One that is enraged when the holiness of Yahweh is challenged. This anger is what we find with David in the story of David and Goliath with Paul in 1 Timothy, and with our Lord in John chapter 2. This is a righteous anger that is escalated when someone has worked outside the ways of Yahweh to create a problem for someone or something that is working for the good of Yahweh. I believe that this is the anger that Paul has in mind when he's writing in Ephesians. He's talking about a righteous anger. He quotes Psalms chapter 4 and in verse 4 in this text, And if we go back and read the Psalms, we'll find that David is angry about people who are persecuting him for righteousness' sake. However, at the end of verse 4, David says, Be angry and do not sin. That's the first part of verse 4. At the end of it, it says, On your bed, reflect in your heart and be still. Think about it. Be still. Don't act upon your anger. Be angry, but lay in your bed, reflect, and be still. I think maybe that's the context in which Paul is using the verse here in Ephesians as well. If we are provoked to anger for righteousness, for righteousness' sake, then fine, but let's not act on it. We don't have to act on it right then. It's okay to be angry when someone tramples on the word of Yahweh, but but is it not Yahweh's place to avenge? Is not Yahweh the avenger? Does not all vengeance belong to Yahweh? The Scripture says that. If we choose to enact justice based on our own accord or harbor hate because of what someone has done, will we not be in sin? Will we not be in sin? Sure we would. The latter part of the verse 26 says this. It says, Don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. In context here, Paul is talking about saints within the body. If we have a problem with another saint, we should deal with it quickly and we should deal with it gently. The Messiah says to reconcile yourself with your brother. I think Paul is agreeing with him in this statement. If we reconcile quickly and settle our anger, we won't let the sun go down and we won't make any room 
for the devil to come in and to set up bitterness within us. Okay? Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5-11. through 11. Second Corinthians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, it says, If anyone has caused pain, he has not caused pain to me, but in some degree, not to exaggerate, to all of you. The punishment by the majority is sufficient for a such person. So now you should forgive and comfort him instead. Otherwise, this one may be overwhelmed by excessive grief. Therefore, I urge you to confirm your love to him. It was for this purpose I wrote, so I may know you, your proven character if you are obedient in everything. Now to whom you forgive anything, I do too. For what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, it is for you in the presence of Christ, so that we may not be taken advantage of by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his intentions. You can turn back to Ephesians. When someone has sinned against us, when someone has sinned against us, even in a way that may seem justifiable to us to retaliate. We're still to forgive Him. Let's not harbor hate in our hearts. Don't let bitterness take root. Jerry talks about bitterness a lot. Don't want that stuff inside of Him. Don't let it take root. If you, if you harbor that hate long enough, that bitterness will set up and, and, and the devil's got all the opportunity in the world to work with that bitterness right there. He'll turn you into a monster. So get that stuff off of you. Forgive your neighbor. Do what you got to do, but get rid of it. So up to this point in Ephesians, Paul has urged us to exchange lying for telling the truth and unrighteousness and unrighteous fury for a holy wrath. So moving on to verse 28, it says this. It says, The thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. Boy, that'd go a long way in our society, wouldn't it? Paul says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 10 that if a man's not willing to work, then he doesn't eat. He doesn't eat. In any society, that would produce one of two things. Either it would produce a whole lot of skinny people or there'd be a lot of hard workers. One way or the other, something would come out of it. In Exodus chapter 20 and verse 9, it says you're to labor six days and do all your work. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, young men, old men, work is a way of life. It's what we have to do. It's something we must do. And not just so that we ourselves and our families benefit. But Paul says here that each man works with his own hands. This is insinuating manual labor. Okay, Works with his own hands so that he has something to share. In context, it's not about your needs, but rather the needs of the brothers and sisters and your neighbors. Okay? Now the idea is not to work, 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 to get more and more and more and to pile it higher and higher to gain more of what you don't need and store it. That's not the idea. But rather to work hard to have more than what you need so that you can give to others and help others in need. The concept we have today is to gain a lot, build more barns to hold it, put it in a safe, send it to Switzerland, put it in all kinds of several accounts, hide it in the floor, in the mattress, under your pillow, whatever it takes, just preserve it up, hoard it up, so that we'll always have it. But that's not the biblical way at all. That's not the biblical way at all. The biblical way is to take what you need and give the rest away. 
That's the biblical way. Take what you need and give the rest of it away. I think about Frankie at Jasper Jam every year. I'm not trying to pick on him or point him out. But uh, people give to that function in order that other people may enjoy something pure and wholesome for their family. I've, I've given to it. I know a lot of people have. Frankie gives to it, and I know he sinks a lot of money, hard-earned money, into that thing so that somebody else can, can benefit from something. Okay? But he's not selling $100 tickets for priceless entertainment. That's some of the best entertainment I see all year long. I don't go a lot of places, do a whole lot of things, but I enjoy that, and it's great. He's not charging $100, $100 for gate fees for people to get in to watch a concert, or $30, or $40. Rather, he puts it on $5 a car, guys. You know what I mean? That's, that, that doesn't even cover, cover the toilet paper that's used in the bathroom overnight. You know, it, it does. It's, it's not enough money. So, but he does it. He does it out of the out of the goodness of his heart, and um, that's that's what that's what we're supposed to do. He works for his money, and then he gives it away, and it's good for others. In Luke chapter fourteen, starting in verse twelve, the Messiah says, "When you give a lunch, or you give a dinner, don't invite your friends, not your brothers, not your relatives." Not your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back and you'd be repaid. Don't invite them. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, who are maimed, who are lame, and who are blind. And you'll be blessed because they can't repay you. Because they can't repay you. For you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. That's what we're storing up treasures for. Never mind the money. We don't need to pile it up in barns. No Swiss accounts. We don't need to do any of that stuff. We, we just... What now? Luke 14. This is a concept by which we should work. Not to be millionaires, but to be stewards of the gifts that Yahweh has given us in order that we may enable others to live a more comfortable life. I'm not talking about the democratic way of work, 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 give it all to people who don't work. I don't mean it that way. All these people are workers, but they might need a little, a little of something you might have more of. Okay? That's the biblical ethics that are taught here by Paul for caring for the brother in need within the church. And let me say this. We can all do something. We can help somebody else. We are all capable of working in some fashion. If you don't have any legs, you're capable of doing something. If you don't have money, you're capable of, of loaning your time, of spending your time to help somebody out. We can all do something. Okay. Let's move on to verse 29. It says, No rotten talk should come from your mouth but only what is good for the building up of someone in need in order to give grace to those who hear. If I just stepped on your toes, I'm sorry, I'm just reading the Scripture. I didn't mean to. This is a command of the Christian life. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. In the next chapter, chapter 5 and verse 4, it says, Coarse and foolish talking or joking, crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. Keep in mind, we're supposed to be renewing the mind and we're training in a new way of life, one that is in line with the will of our Heavenly Father. Now, if you don't have a problem with any of these commands, that's great. But as far as for me, here's another one I could tighten up on. The word rotten means just that. It means that it's foul. It smells bad. It tastes bad. And it is absolutely useless when it comes to the benefit of someone else or the preservation of an individual or their soul. It's useless. It's like salt that is no good. Salt that's lost its flavor is no good. Okay? A foul mouth is a dangerous thing. Let's read Matthew chapter 12 and 33, verses 33 through 37. I know I'm going to a couple places in the Scriptures today, but I think it's important. 
This is the last one, by the way. Matthew chapter 12, starting in verse 33, it says this. It says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers, how can you speak good things when you're evil? For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. A good man produces good things from his storeroom of good, and an evil man produces evil things from his storeroom of evil. I tell you that on the day of judgment, people have to account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Man, that's some shocking news, huh? Are you telling me, Yeshua, that uh, I'll be condemned by the words that come out of my mouth? Absolutely. Maybe that's why that David says in Psalms chapter 141 and verse 3, he says, Lord, set up a guard for my mouth. Keep watch at the door of my lips. See, if our Lord is the keeper of our lips, then you can bet that what, that what comes out of it will be good. It will be edifying. And it will be gracious. And that's the three components that should be involved in our speech. Edification, good, edification, and gracious. When you talk, you should ask yourself, is my speech good? Is it good? When I, when I talk, do I encourage people spiritually? Do I strengthen this person in the faith or do I tear them down and set a bad example? Moms, when you talk to your children, do you edify them? Do you bring them up? Do you teach the young ladies to, how to be Christian ladies? Not only in their actions, but also by the way they speak. And fathers, when you take your sons out and you teach them how to be men, do you teach them how to be Christian men? Strong, with good speech, soft, gentle, easy to listen to. Do you do that? Or do you break them down? Do you use foolish talking as a tool to do so? And folks, secondly, is your speech gracious? Is it gracious? Is it sweet? Does it bless? When you talk to somebody, are they blessed by it? Is your speech gracious? When the Messiah spoke, it was gracious. Luke chapter 4 and verse 22 records the people as, as speaking well of Yeshua and they, that they were amazed by the gracious words that came from His mouth. Brothers and sisters, let me tell you, this isn't just about curse words. You don't have to say a curse word to still have a rotten speech. All you need to have is a speech that is not beneficial to the ears that hear it for it to be considered rotten. If we're not edifying, if we're not kind, if we're not speaking gently, and if we're not gracious when we speak, then we may need to work on this one. Rotten talk. That's a hard one. It's a hard one for me. Verse 30. Let's look at verse 30. <clears throat> it says, And don't grieve Yahweh's Holy Spirit, who sealed you for the day of redemption. Okay, this is just a product that you get when you don't heed to the instruction that Paul's giving you right here. If you lie, if you steal, if you sin in anger, if you have a useless, rotten mouth, if you do these things, you grieve the Spirit of Yahweh who has saved you and sealed you for the day of salvation. The Spirit of Yahweh is saddened by its efforts to conform you. Just like Yahweh wept in the book of Jeremiah for Israel, and his heart was broken in the book of Hosea. Yahweh has sealed you for salvation. Let's not make him grieve his decision that he made for your soul. 
He had paid an ultimate price and He's given a gift that we couldn't pay. None of us could pay. We couldn't afford it. So there's some things that are required of us. We just work on the little things. Just start right there working on the little things. Four or five little things that Paul's mentioned right here. We'll just start right there, the little things. But there's some things that are required of us. We've been, we've been joined to a holy family. We've been given a name, the sons and daughters of Yahweh. We've been given that name. That's a righteous name. Do you think we could act like it, you know, act like we have it? Make some efforts to uh, cause Yahweh not to grieve over the decision that He made to save us. That's powerful to me. I can't imagine, I can't imagine Yahweh saving a group of people or anybody and then grieving because He'd saved that person. Are grieving because they don't they don't come around and start to act like he wants them to act. He he puts within you a new heart. He causes you to grow the way that he wants you to grow, and you don't utilize the tools that he's given you. And it says it grieves him. It grieves the Holy Spirit that has sealed you for the day of redemption. Now the last two verses in chapter four, we'll look at those together. Verse thirty one and verse thirty two. It says, "All bitterness, anger, and wrath, insult, and slander must be removed from you." along with all wickedness. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as Yahweh has forgave you in Christ. In verse 31, Paul says, all those inward emotions, bitterness, anger, and wrath, they must be removed. The new inward man must be controlled in efforts to cut down on the outward manifestation which are the last three words, insult, slander, and wickedness. Okay? First three represent the inside man. The last three represent the outside actions that come from that wicked inside man. He's just recapping here, folks. He says all the bitterness, that smoldering, smoldering resentment that you have towards one another, that grudge that you have got held back, that unforgiven spirit that's got you bound, Get rid of it. Work on that inner man and send all that other stuff far from you so that it doesn't grow and result in the slandering of your neighbor. The insulting of your brother and the wicked wrath that you might have on someone due to a hatred that's harbored inside, let them go. Let them go. Get rid of that stuff. Instead, be kind to one another. Only speak good things to one another. Use edifying speech when you talk. Say only good things in gracious ways, and I repeat that, say only good things in gracious ways. Be compassionate to one another. I don't know if anybody else struggles for, with this one, but man, it's probably the biggest one for me. Be compassionate for somebody? I have no compassion for people. Absolutely none. I don't want to be that way. But I struggle with that. I struggle with that. That's a, that's a problem that I have. But I, I've, got a, I've got a written command right here that says fix it. I've given you the tools to fix it. Fix it. Have compassion on people. Feel sorry for somebody when there's truly a need to feel sorry for them. When you see someone in need, help him. Don't hinder him. Don't take advantage of the poor man to increase your empire. Don't do that. Give to the poor and needy. Help the widows and the orphans. Yahweh's the champion of the widows and the orphans. That's His prize. Okay? You know, I'm reminded of the verse in Proverbs chapter 30. It's the words of Agur. Agur, Agur, I don't know how you say it. Agur, Agur. <laughs> anyway, um, I'm reminded of his words. I, I keep, uh, in my barn, I keep this rote on a, I got a whiteboard 
in my in my barn up there, and I write down uh, I write down Bible verses up there that impact me the most. And I remember these words, and and I'm reminded of them. And I think it goes along with with the sermon. So I'm going to tell you what what Agur says in Proverbs chapter 30. He says he, he writes this. He says two things I ask of you, speaking to Yahweh. Two things I ask of you. Don't deny them to me before I die. He says, keep falsehood and deceitful, deceitful words far from me. Give me neither poverty nor wealth. Feed me with the food I need. Otherwise, I might have too much and deny you, saying, who is Yahweh? Or I might have nothing and still profane in the name of the Mighty One. Folks, by our obedience to these verses, we not only prevent the grief of the Holy Spirit who sealed us, but we also will help others along the way. We help our brothers in doing so by being kind, by lending a hand, by forgiving their sin, things like that. Let's be compassionate to one another. Others are trying to make it just like you. We're all in the same race. Okay, they're trying to get along. Don't speed off there in front of them and leave them dragging behind. Hey, grab them by the arm and pull them with you. You know, <clears throat> be compassionate and be on guard for these things. Guard your heart close for these things right here. And last, but especially not least, forgive one another as Yahweh's forgiven you in Christ. Don't go to sleep angry. Don't slander your neighbor's character. Don't lie to make it easier on yourself. Own up to the mistakes you make. It's okay to make mistakes. We all do it. Own up to them. You don't have to lie. You don't have to skirt around the truth to get out of something. Be sure to do all these things, but remember, when we fall, confess your sins to one another and forgive one another as needed. As needed. You know, we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. We too all lived among the Spirit, working in the disobedience, and we carried out our fleshly desires and the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And by nature, we all were children under wrath. Every one of us. This is what we all once were, but Yahweh. But Yahweh had mercy. Yahweh had mercy on us because of His great love and His great compassion. He made us alive in the Messiah, and He forgave us for all that. Brothers and sisters, be merciful and compassionate to people. Just as Yahweh also forgives us in Christ, we are all in this together. Every single one of us are in it together. I'm just trying to make it just like you're trying to make it, just like the next man's trying to make it. But we have to forgive each other lest we not be forgiven. We have to. Remember these things that Paul is teaching us and apply them in your daily lives. Start to convert that old man. Throw him away. Get rid of that old man. Let this new man grow. And let him grow in the ways that Yahweh is teaching us to let him grow in. Remember these things as Paul's teaching us. Make sure that we that we put them to practice. Don't lie, but speak the truth. Have a righteous anger, but don't sin. Steal no longer, but work with your hands so that you can share with your brother. No rotten talk should come from your mouth, but only that which is good, that gives grace to those who hear. Remove all bitterness, anger, insult, and slander, but be kind and compassionate to one another. And last but definitely not least, forgive one another as you've been forgiven. All right, let's stand and close. Yahweh Father, we thank you for this day. I thank you for the writings of Paul. I thank you for the letter that he wrote to the book of to the people in Ephesians that we now have as the book of Ephesians. Father, I thank you for the understanding that you've given us. 
throughout the course of studying this book. And Father, I just pray that now that we know why, I pray that you let us apply it. Father, I love you. I love your son. I love the sacrifice that was made for me. I'm so very thankful. And I'm, I'm just just uh, overwhelmed by the mercy that you've had on people that, that, uh, that are so undeserving. So, Father, we lift you up right now. We glorify you. Father, we thank you for your only begotten Son, and we glorify Him, the perfect Lamb that was slain for us. Father, I'm thankful for the, for the creation day. I'm thankful for the day that you created the earth. And, Father, we, sh- we shout for joy today because of how great and how wonderful and how majestic you are. Father, as we leave here today, I pray that you keep us safe. All the visitors, uh, the people that are always here, I pray that you keep us safe. Let us go home, uh, enjoy another week, and return back on the following Sabbath. Father, we love you, we worship you, we honor you, and uh, we glorify you in your only begotten Son's name. Amen. Amen.